Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreau, joined by my co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. So, Shelly, we had an episode on Google for Jobs like a month ago, and you provided so much misinformation, I felt like you were a Facebook post. <laughs> God, you're cruel. So, I'm kidding, by the way, Shelly. There wasn't that much misinformation, <laughs> just a little bit. So, it was like a tiny Facebook post. Uh, yeah, you know what, Serge? You can take jabs at me all day long, but you're right. There's so much confusion out there. And the more we talk about it, we thought, let's bring in some experts. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce our two guests today to come talk to us about Google for Jobs for Dummies. Let's start with Alex Murphy. Alex, welcome back to the show. He is CEO of JobSync. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a topic that we care an awful lot about, so I appreciate the, the invite. And I have the honor of introducing Ira Wolf, who is the president and chief Googleization officer at Success Performance Solutions, someone I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd have the opportunity to have a conversation with. Ira, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you both. And I'm thrilled to fulfill your dream there, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Talk oh about my. an ego boost, right? <laughs> so to have both Alex and Ira here is just amazing. So Ira, would you mind just giving like a little soundbite of who you are and your role in the recruitment industry? Yeah, thanks very much. In a soundbite. I, I started my company 26 years ago, Success Performance Solutions. We primarily were hanging around the pre-employment and leadership testing, that's still where we are. But from a marketing side, just from an interest, personal passion was following workforce trends. And 21 years ago, I coined the phrase perfect labor storm to describe what we're experiencing now, extreme labor shortages and skill gaps. I frankly hate writing books. That wasn't my business recruitment, but we were talking about what the future of work was going to look like. And all of a sudden, 20 years later, uh, pandemic arrives, labor shortages, and it's wow. You were talking this for a long time. Now, how do we fix it? <laughs> so it took us 20 years to get into this mess. It's not going to take us overnight to, to get out of it. And that's what we're here to talk about. Great. Can't wait. Thank you, Ira. Alex, can I um, toss the microphone over to you? Can you talk a bit about how impressive your background is as well and what brought you into the recruitment world? So I wish I had a uh, an awesome title like Googleization officer, but <laughs> I'm going to sink back into my little role as the CEO and co-founder of JobSync. We are an integration platform. We do workflow automation specifically geared towards talent acquisition. It starts at the top with creating a more frictionless apply process for candidates. And we automate the process all the way down into the system of record, ATS, CRM, whatever you're using, all intended to create a better ROI on your ad spend and uh, a much better process for your recruiters and candidates all alike. Awesome. Sounds like Thank a miracle. You, <laughs> yeah, a little exactly. bit every day. Oh, somebody so Alex, finally invented it. <laughs> do you have a book? We're oh, waiting for your book. I, I own a bunch of books <laughs> and I've read most of them. I'm now halfway through recruiting in the age of Googleization that Ira wrote, but I have not yet written a book. I guess I'm writing my book every day. Trying yeah, to I anyway. guess you are. And thanks for shouting out Ira's book. I was just telling him before we went on air, I think I... 
I read it when it came out in 2017. I wasn't aware there was uh, a revamped version. So 2020 recruiting in the age of Googleization. There you go. But the main reason we wanted to have you on the show, talking to a lot of recruiters, talking to a lot of practitioners, talking to a lot of leaders, they're telling us we really don't understand Google for jobs. First of all, we've all seen it. The candid experience has been horrible. The experience for actual recruitment departments is they're not getting tons of value of Google for jobs. Not that they're paying anything, but they're not getting tons of candidates. Overall, hasn't had an impact in the Canadian market. I don't know if that's different in the U.S. I'm not seeing trends that is, is dramatically different than what we're seeing here. But if you wouldn't mind, Alex, can you give us a brief history of the launch of Google for Jobs, how long it's been out, how it works? So about four years ago, it came out. It was a response by Google to address what would otherwise be characterized as a gap in the quality of their search results. When you say Google for jobs, I think it's important to understand what the word Google means there, right? Which is a quality search experience. And you can go back to the early days and beginning of Google, the thing that created separation for Google from all of the other search engines that existed was that Google was really focused on making the best organic quality search experience. There's a the CEO of Sear Interactive in Philadelphia. They do a bunch of search engine optimization defines what it means to create a quality search experience really well. His name is Will Reynolds. He said, Google's goal is to find the page or the piece of information that answers the question of the searcher as the very best results amongst all possible results on planet Earth and beyond. What does that mean? It means that the very first result should be the best result for your search in jobs as well. So this quality search experience for jobs came about because a, a tremendous number of searches on Google are for jobs, right? And so one of the top search queries in recent years has been jobs near me. That implies that Google understands me, that Google knows where me is, and that it can then translate and find what is the very best result for me. And so enter this search box experience as opposed to what they had before. What was there before was really a list of search results that were links to other job sites or to collectively to job boards, generally speaking, that were search results pages that Google didn't control. And Google said, really, if it's a search result page, it should be ours. And so they constructed this way for owners of job content to give signals to Google to say, this is the job content, this is how to organize it. And then Google created a new search experience to make it so that people that were searching for jobs could have a great and excellent search quality experience to find the jobs that they were looking for near themselves. Has that happened? I would say that they have done a fantastic job of bringing up and surfacing the job content and presenting that job content. And recently they released a new set of uh, guidelines that those people providing the job content to Google will now need to adhere to that gets at the after the click experience. So to answer your question, Serge, has that happened? The answer is yes. They understand with great clarity if you're searching for a server job, there's always been an example for them. 
server job, meaning not a person controlling the computer servers yeah. in a room, but rather a waiter, waitress type of server role inside a restaurant or vice versa. They understand the context needed between the two. So they're finding the jobs. The problem is that when candidates click through, they're often met with less than great experiences. And so they're now taking this kind of mission to the next level, which is to create a great after-click experience for the user. Ira, do you mind going through the highlights of the changes that are coming October 1st? So what Google is doing is saying, we're going to focus on a better candidate experience. And we're going to not rate you higher, but we're going to demote you on your rankings. We're going to take you down to the more friction that you put into the candidate experience. So when somebody clicks apply, you're going to have to immediately go into some type of easy screening process, whatever that looks like. And, and Alex probably can define that a little bit better because that's on the tech side. Um, but basically, you're going to have to create a bridge between I'm ready to apply and now I'm in the front door. Is that right? Would you agree, Alex? Hundred percent. And I think the real kind of tell is: is your application experience require a candidate to either register before they complete their application, or do you present them with a login form in order to go to the registration or to apply? And if that's happening, then that's being marked as an application process that is full of friction just to make it a very simple definition. And Google deploys all of these Google bots, little robots. They go in and they, they can crawl through forms. They can crawl pages. They analyze the quality of pages. Google does other things. Like, for example, they measure the time from when a person clicks if the person comes back to that search results page. So if a candidate clicks, they land on the target page, right? Google can no longer see them. But they come back to that search results page in six seconds that means that was a frustrating page. Google ranks them down. Whereas if the candidate clicks and they don't come back, Google says success. They click through to something that they wanted and they're measuring that and they're, they're brilliant with their way of A, knowing what types of data to capture and B, how to capture it and measure and analyze and get insights out of it. Alex, so registering before you can apply, myself and Shelly do a lot of like recruitment process optimization. And I would say 90% of companies we see out there, you have to register before you can apply, which obviously we're not fans of. It's the number one thing that we'll always say to change. But this is a big structural change. How is this going to work for Google for Jobs in the sense that the majority are not going to change the way they're doing it? It's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Carrots and sticks in the long game. Google is saying making a very good candidate experience matters an awful lot. And anybody who disagrees can go through the door. <laughs> yeah. And the stick is you're going to get less search results. And candidly, most companies aren't actually seeing a lot of traffic come to their corporate career site. The winners today are actually the aggregators out there in the world that have gotten really good at figuring out how to juice their Google quality score, get lots of links, build some page rank. These are the terms of art in the world of Google, right? They're, they're essentially the way Google measures the effectiveness of one domain over another is if you've got lots and lots of links pointing to your website, those are all count as votes. And if you've got 
CNN linking to your website, that's like a lot of votes, right? Whereas alexmurphy.com is not so many votes. And they measure and they compare all of these different pieces. And so there's a carrot that Google puts out there that says, if you do it right, you do it well, it's structured, it adds value. It's the best page on the internet to answer this question. We're going to elevate you and give you more traffic. If you do it poorly, you do it wrong, you have all sorts of technical problems or it's really thin content, then you get less traffic. And what they're saying to the world is this direct apply or native apply experience, it matters. And so you should structure and build your website like this. And they're right. Now, let me just make a point that I think a lot of people really miss on exactly what you said, Serge, about 90% of companies set up their apply experience in this way. The reason is actually much more simple than I think most people realize, which is in recruiting, we go through and we test, did it work, right? Yeah. And functionally, it worked. And when you look at it as a one-off, it didn't suck that bad. Eh, it was 26 questions. Eh, it took nine minutes. But for the average candidate, they have to apply dozens and dozens of times. So instead of testing it once, you need to do it 26 times in a row with 26 different email addresses and 26 different passwords. Keep track of all of that and then put a heart rate monitor and a stress meter on and feel like what it's like the 27th time having not gotten a call back. And that's where the candidate is. And when you get to that stage, what you've done is you've designed for the lowest common denominator, the person who's willing to go through anything, which is a person that you probably aren't exactly that interested in bringing in for an interview. In other words, on the other side of the spectrum is the most sought after candidate is going to be the most frustrated first, and they're the first ones to abandon. So if you're looking at your candidate pool and you'd like to elevate the general quality, go back to your application experience, understand what the broader impact is of what you're doing to your people. And you go back to Google and their insights. They didn't make this decision in blind in a dark room. They derived it off of insights and data. And they're not first. Indeed did this two years ago. They have a search quality experience team and they've been carrot and stick. More traffic to, to apply experiences that are better, less to those that are not. Well, and, and they've leveraged their whole squall team to put people in Indeed jail, which has been probably one of the best things they've done. Being in Indeed, it was one of the most frustrating things when customers would go down, uh, but I, I couldn't do anything. I had to send it to our search quality team. I agree. Right. I it was a one-way letter. <laughs> Can we take a step back and, and just for the listeners? I, I think we jumped into this and it's what's coming down the pike, but yeah. having done all these presentations and speaking to people all the time and, and back on the circuit, I ask this question all the time is how many people are familiar with Google for jobs and a couple hands go up and Google for jobs. People want to know is how do I post jobs on Google for jobs? And you don't, it's not a search engine. It's unlike anything else. So Surge, you said, is it any different because employers in Canada are, are not really talking that Google for jobs is an issue? And I think that's because they're not looking at the numbers. If 75%, and, and it varies between 60 and 80% of, of candidates start a search on Google, you're sitting in a doctor's office, you're sitting in your cubicle, you're sitting at home, you're sitting at your kid's ball game, and you're frustrated and you decide to search for a job. 
I think I'm going to switch. I'm going to see what's out there. You don't open Indeed. People don't go directly to Indeed. They don't go to ZipRecruiter. They go to Google because Google dominates 94% of all the searches. So the first place they look, and that's the reason that you have to be there. But beyond just where the, the search starts, not where it ends up, but where it starts, is that most HR and recruitment doesn't understand SEO. There was, somebody said before, is HR doesn't know how to spell SEO. And this is not about native apply. It's not about what's coming, but the basics. And this is in the book and everything else I talk about. It's out there. There's free videos that, that are out there. There's three things that I say is, how do you improve your search? One of is mobile ready. And the fact is that maybe their website is now their company site, but oftentimes the career site is not mobile ready. So you're going after anybody under the age of 29 years old. 96% of 29 years old in the US owns a mobile phone. 50%, it's their only way to connect to the internet. They don't have tablets, they don't have laptops, they don't have desktops with 34-inch screens that you're testing this on. They have a mobile device, sometimes with a three to five-inch screen. A lot of the applications are not mobile ready. Some of the career sites are not mobile ready. Even some of the ATS career sites are not really a good experience. So forget going to native apply. You can't even get them into the funnel because they can't get ranked in Google. They won't show up and in Indeed. So that's the first thing. The second is, are they responsive? It doesn't mean this isn't the HR black hole. So you have to be responsive. You can't not respond to them. But the responsiveness, how does it display on multiple devices? And I ask this question to everybody and somebody says, well, I only own an iPhone. How do I know? Ask somebody who owns a Droid. Ask somebody who owns a Windows device. Ask somebody who owns a tablet, a Samsung. Find out what it looks like on another device because every one of those devices could display it differently. If you don't know which devices your candidates are using and then it's not displaying properly, you're just losing them in the beginning of the funnel before they even get into that. So one is, is it mobile ready? And then is, does it actually react well on all dif different devices or at least most devices that people use? And then the third, is it fast? We, I can test anything. I got a gig, an internet bandwidth coming in. If I tested everything I did only on that, I have a great experience. But then I go to the worst place with one bar on my mobile device. What does that feel like? If I get the wheel spinning, it takes too long. And Google's benchmark now, if it took longer than three seconds, they dinged you. It took too long to load the page. Mm -hmm. Now it's a minute. Now it's a second. A minute? <laughs> it's a lifetime yeah. ago. <laughs> That's what I have was the old dial-up, if you were lucky. Now it's a second. And we're not talking just the career page and the job post. When I say that a job posting is a web page, you're a web designer. You're creating a new web page. That job posting better load in definitely less than three seconds, preferably less than a second, on every device that you can think of. There's a few free links that you can give to people. They can go out and they can test the, the, how long it takes. I say, don't only test your website, your homepage. Test your career site, test your application. Applications are absurd, especially when they're a 20 megabyte PDF that you have to download. So Google for Jobs is really more about not just the native apply. If you're doing everything else, then I think native apply is going to be critical to go to the next step. But if you just fix native apply and don't do any of these other things, don't apply 
basic SEO to your marketing, nobody's going into the funnel. What, so, what, Iris, what Iris putting his finger on is Google's commitment to great experiences, right? And that's the bottom line. They're committed to creating great experiences. If the aggregator is in there, which happens a lot right now in Google mm-hmm. for jobs, right? And the candidate clicks apply and they have to go to one job site, to another job site, to another job site, to another job site, maybe never even ending up at the place where you actually apply. That's a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. And what Iris putting his finger on about speed, design, et cetera is about great experiences and they're just upping their game with this new release. And the end result is that there's an opportunity for companies to capture traffic that they otherwise were getting blocked out by from these people that were creating poor experiences. I know Alex has heard me say this before, but the good news is at this point, the bar is so low, you can fall over it. So in order to be better than the competition, you just have to do a little bit. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, SEO and digital marketing, is you're never perfect. It's constantly evolving. You're always changing. But the good news is most companies have no clue and don't understand how to do this. So if you take step by step and you do a little bit, you're going to beat out most of the competition. That's the name of the game. It's like the first thing. People have to know that you have a job opening and how do I get a higher ranking? It's not more gadgets. It's sometimes just going back to the ABCs or in this case, the SEO of improving that. I just want to backtrack just a little bit because I'm still a little shell-shocked at this whole idea that the the registration, the login process is, is now going to somehow make it even worse for employers. I've changed chairs and I'm now the, the, the VP of HR and just heard us talking about the fact that the more friction, the worse it's going to be for you. So what is the implication for all these big HRIS systems where they bolted on this um, applicant tracking system and somebody somewhere decided, oh no, we want people to do all the work. We're going to get you to fill in all this information about yourself before you can even apply for the job. What is this going to mean for companies that have these sluggish, old-fashioned applicant tracking systems, what are they going to have to no, do? No, no. Let's let's walk somebody through how to find this experience first off. So if you type in sales jobs or sales representative jobs into a Google search bar, you're going to see a blue box that's going to have three job mm-hmm. postings, four job postings in it. And if you go click on one of those job postings, you're going to get a job details page And if you click through enough of those job postings that are in the search results, what you're going to see is you're going to see a series of buttons across the top that say apply on, put in the name of the website where they're going to go, right? You'll see two, three, four, five of those, right? So this is the experience today as it is. And if you go through those experiences, you're going to see a mixture of things. You'll see some LinkedIn, some Glassdoor, right? some ZipRecruiter where you have a a relatively, I'll say straightforward and I'll call it common experience. You'll also encounter these jobs on domains or website names that you've never heard of. Click on those, right? Oh no, it's a nightmare. And those are the ones that I think are most likely to go away. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's not the HR person. It's the aggregator that has a horrible experience. We'll say reg, which is that registration process required before applying. We could call it a bad experience. The 28th time, like I was describing before, is a bad experience. But the case where you click and you register and you click and register and click and register, you never make it to the actual application. 
That's a horrible experience. And the horrible experiences are what Google's really most focused on getting rid of because there are some horrible experiences still front and center inside of Google. Now, they're the ones getting the stick. The other side is the carrot. So what can you do to make it better? Engage with a career site offering that has a direct apply, native apply experience where instead of requiring the registration, it is a straightforward application. We have a solution for it at JobSync. Others also have solutions for it. There are solution providers out there that sit on top of the applicant tracking system so that you don't have to create a registration. So you can have a great experience and also use this applicant tracking system. And so you get the best of both worlds. You get a good recruiter experience at the end, you get Mm -hmm. more candidates, and you also have a good candidate experience, uh, which then is gonna elevate the quality profile of your pool of candidates. Does that help? help get you off of the ledge of, oh my God, what's going to happen for these poor HR people? Well, so the other side of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ira, as soon as you talk about SEO and understanding the basics, but what I also know is that Google changes what they like every 11 times a second. So how in God's name am I ever going to just get the basics when they keep changing? And so I get your point about like, for God's sakes, at least make it mobile, at least test what it's like to apply on mobile, etc. But when you start talking about SEO and basics, people are just going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to need a degree. In, in this to try and figure it. The bad news is, Shelley, for part of that, and hopefully this doesn't shatter the dream <laughs> that, that you're living, is marketing should be part of a recruiter's job. Maybe not HR, not payroll compliance, training. If you're a recruiter, you, you've got to know at least the basics of marketing. Recruitment is marketing. So you have to know that. Now, if you don't know it, you maybe you don't have to learn it. Maybe you can create a collaboration or a cooperation with marketing. Usually when I say that, well, marketing doesn't like us, well then fix it. Because if you go to the CEO and said, if we can't get cooperation from marketing from this, I need to get a hundred thousand more dollars for ad spend. Mm-hmm. Because the only way that our jobs are going to show up is if we sponsor them and pay to get them to show up. So if we want to do it organically, we need to learn what the basics are. And so at least basic SEO, and you're right, it's complicated. Google changes their algorithm all the time. So does Indeed, so does everybody else. It's going to change, but there are basics that you have to do. And when you're not even doing the basics, then that's a problem. You're not even getting in the starting gate. Part of that is that recruiters should have marketing under the belt. And and over the last five years, there are more and more recruiters that get it. When we're talking about it, they're, they're saying, I already do that. We already do that. Some of it's technology. And we've had some of these discussions on the JobSync roundtable. And I think most people agree. The ATS is, although it's a legacy and there's huge investments, especially with some of the big names, uh, they were really built for the employer. They weren't built Thank with the can- they oh weren't built with the candidate experience. Are they going to go away overnight? No, because there's huge investments and and mm-hmm. so far there's nothing out there. There's a lot of good startups that have changed um, mm-hmm. the technology, but it's not a technology problem. It's a candidate experience problem. And even native apply, taking somebody in a smooth transition, frictionless, going from click to apply into filling out a 400 field application is not going to work. There's still that disconnect there. So what about text apply? 
it is coming out. And what are the four or five basic questions? And I've been preaching this for 10 years. What are the four or five basic questions that you can ask that if somebody says no to one of them, I'm not 18 years old, I'm not licensed in the state of Rhode Island, I don't have a college degree, whatever. And we can get into college degrees and experience later how valid that is. But whatever the, the basic criteria is, what are four or five questions? And if they answer no, you say, hey, thanks very much. If you'd like to submit an application, that's wonderful, but you don't seem to be a great fit for this. And you can say it in a friendly way. You don't just reject yeah. them or throw them into the black hole. But what are those four or five questions? If you ask those four or five questions, text, online, screening, however you want to do it, and they answer yes, one is, congratulations, you're into the system. You've already differentiated yourself from most of these other platforms. If you can have that stage by asking them, we'd like you to go to the next step. That next step could be to schedule for a screening interview. It could be to do a video chat. It could be, we'd like you to complete the rest of our application. At that point, even if you have a clumsy, clunky, friction-filled application, you've had some engagement. And the engagement is that you've acknowledged that they've at least started the application. I don't have to fill out a 30-minute application in all these fields with the potential never to hear from you. If you ask four or five questions, and we're not asking you to hire them. We're not talking about blind hiring. We're saying if you answer four or five questions and you know what they are, you have an opportunity to engage with the candidate, which at this point, that bar is so low that differentiate you from 99% of the companies that are out there. That's as simple as you get. I don't care if you change anything in your system. By doing that, you will get more applications. So Ira, I agree with you that digital marketing or marketing basics of SEO should be all part of a recruiter's toolbox. We're salespeople. We're also marketers. These are two critical elements of what we do. Uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier, uh, Alex, is about the carrot and the stick. Being a talent acquisition leader myself, I've had a massive challenge throughout the years having our salaries listed, or at least a salary range listed mm. in our, our job postings. I know Google for Jobs is having this as a carrot. How big is that in competitive advantage if I'm putting my salary, say everything else is the same and I'm putting my salaries and company B is not in Google for jobs, what is going to be that benefit? Two benefits. One is your jobs go up higher, right? So that sales representative job search, I was using as an example, jobs with salary go up on the ladder scale. It's one of the signals. And the more that Google understands about the user, they can tie together salary expectations and what the job is going to offer and what the person is going to seek. And they can start to create inferences between the two. So your job goes up and then your apply button moves to the left. So again, in that job details page, the list of buttons, the one that's the most to the left, you call that pole position, like in the context of a race. And it's a race to get the click because whomever gets the first click is likely to get the apply. And ironically, a lot of the other buttons are going to be the places where you're going to end up paying to get the click. Even though they source it off of Google, they're going to charge you to get this click that came from Google, right? So you listing your salary and not having it with other people means your positioning on the page goes up. And if your data is also more complete, Google will also shed the other buttons is the third benefit. So you go up. In the results, by comparison to other jobs, 
your button moves to the left, which means it gets more clicks. And if you have a more complete data set, which includes not just salary, but the type of job, full-time, part-time, the exact location, like this is the actual address, 1001, number 202, Main Street or whatever. The more of the data that you can provide to Google by comparison to the others, you're more likely to end up with just one single button, which means you get all of the traffic directly into your channel. And it's a great tool for a lot of practitioners like myself. They're trying to get our leaders to agree to put salary ranges out there. This is a tool you can leverage to be like, hey, we'll get better ranking and all those elements. A lot of people are scared of what they need to do come October 1st. And obviously there's tools and products. A lot of the ATS are on top of this. But is there any advice for these folks as far as what they should do to get prepared Yeah, I I think one is you need a baseline. If you're getting applications, I think it's going back to metrics. Where are your applications coming from now? Here's a question I ask, and I I know Alex has heard me say this a million times before. How many people land on your career site and click apply, but then don't even start the application? So if you don't know that, you won't know if you're having a problem or not. If you notice a fall off, it may be because of that, but you could prevent it. So I think from a technology standpoint, one of the things you can do if you're not getting enough applications, which is probably everybody, or at least of qualified people, is how many people view the job posting, how many people click to apply, how many people start the application but don't finish it. And the fallout rate is astronomical. And we work with a lot of small, medium-sized businesses, and oftentimes it's in the 90%. One one out of 10 people actually finish an application that started. The average from aggregates and some of the studies I've seen is 50%. Half the people start and don't finish it. And there's a lot of reasons. But how do you fix that? How do you go back and remove the friction? And what's the cause? Native Apply is just going to exacerbate that. So Alex, one last question. When is Google for Jobs going to monetize? Is it going to happen at one particular point, or is it just something that they'll never monetize? Before I answer that question, I just want to make a point of emphasis about Ira's point about data. Sure. So you might feel sick, right? But if your temperature is 37, you know that you're actually not all that sick. But if your temperature is 39, 40, you're well on your way to a bad day, right? The data matters a lot and knowing the data and knowing whether or not you've got a sickness or just perception of something that maybe isn't all that sick. In terms of when are they going to monetize? I think historically what I've observed them do in other categories, be it in shopping and real estate travel and so forth, they first focus on making an amazing experience for users. Their marketing stream is people telling people. And to get people to tell people, it has to be an amazing experience. And right now the experience candidates have inside of Google for jobs is not amazing because of where they end up. So there's an element of that, right? It's not a timeline so much as it is that they have to clear a milestone in terms of what they consider to be the quality metrics. That's That would be my first statement. Second is they already monetize the living hell out of job search. Hmm. They just want to make it so that users that go to have a deeper experience are going to have an amazing experience that keeps people coming back to Google to start their job search. As Iris said, something like 70% of people that start on a search for a job start on Google. That's a number that they like a lot. They'd like it to be 72%. They want to make sure it's not 40. 
because that would be a huge hit to their existing ad revenue. So whether or not they put in a sponsored link or some other kind of monetization inside of the Google for Jobs view, I think is a function of what they feel like the quality experience is. It would be simple enough for them to float a sponsored job up to the top. Like they've got the mechanisms. I'm sure they already have the designs. I'm sure they already have the idea of how that fits into their AdWords product. I think it's a matter of timing and, and how they want to actually align that with what the end user experience is. Remember, when they started monetizing search in the first place, like they're the first ones that actually figured out the ad should match the editorial. Pre-Google, if you bought an ad in a magazine and, they, and the magazine had an expose on like cars, the magazine wouldn't sell ads to car manufacturers that were in the expose on cars. They said, this needs to be separated. Editorial and ads need to be separated. And Google said, not only are we not in alignment with that, we think that it's 100% wrong. The ads should be editorial. The ads should be high quality. So I'm certain that they've already got that nailed down for how they want that to be. They just need to make sure that as it flows through and they're selling those clicks, that it fits a high quality experience. Thank you. Ira, your points as far as monetization, are you in the same wavelength? Maybe this is the workaround and maybe it's a right now. Obviously, they make their money from sponsored ads. If a company is not getting enough candidates through the ATS and the ATS isn't working and all the wrong reasons we talked about, if they optimized their career page and they posted their jobs not through the ATS, but on their website as a web page on their website, they own that domain. They could sponsor those pages. They could do it organically too, just to show up higher. Because in a search engine, the jobs themselves will show up in Google for jobs if you have the structured data and everything. But as far as the career page, that's an independent page. That should be marketed just like your other product pages and your service pages. And if you're not organically getting the ranking you want, you sponsor those. So it, it may not be Google's strategy. Maybe it is. Maybe that's they're, they're hoping that people will figure that out. Ultimately, there are companies now that are doing sponsored ads on their career pages, and they optimize them and they get people to go there and then to click to go to the next step, which then leads into our other conversations. What Alex said, I tend to agree. I, I don't know where they're headed. I'm not sure anybody does. It's all speculation. But there, there are ways that people are going to be pouring more money into Google's wallet by figuring out how to get the pages higher. And one of the simplest ways is just to, to do a much better job on your career page, optimize it, and then sponsor it. Serge, if I might add just one thing. You asked the question about how or what should people be doing right now yeah. to prepare for October 1? It's going to be a seminal moment for most of the people that are listening to this. But I think the important takeaway is that you should become smarter and you should learn rather than learning how to be an expert at Google. It's become an expert on how to ask the questions of your service providers. Really be able to dig into why are they making the decisions they're making? How do they set themselves up? What are the alternative things that they considered? And then be really intent on listening to their answers and compare one to the other. So you get a strong feel for what they have conviction for and why. Mm -hmm. Alex, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I kept thinking of this throughout and then I forget when you got off on other subjects. 
is ultimately, it, it's not focusing on how do I show up higher and how do I get my apply button to move over in Google for jobs? It's about the candidate experience. If you focus on the candidate experience and you do a good job oh. there, then your ads will naturally float up. You'll do a better job all around in Google for jobs. So I think it's really focused on the candidate experience. And I have an acronym and I, I borrowed it from a friend of mine, Debbie Levitt, so I'll give her credit for it. And we talk about this all the time is that you're the candidate experience is all FCDD'd up, or in short, F'd up. And it's <laughs> frustrating, confusing, disappointing, and distracting. That's from user experience model, mm -hmm. is what's frustrating, what's confusing, what's distracting, and what's disappointing. That's the model you should look at and look at every step of the way, is how do they navigate to the career page? How do they get there? Is it frustrating? confusing, disappointing, distracting. And I can tell you on many websites, it's really hard to find where the jobs are listed. Mm -hmm. Fix that. So go through every step, every process that a candidate goes through and use the FCDD model or your process will be effed up. <laughs> Ira, you've been preaching that if you would just get out of your chair as a recruiter and sit in the chair of the candidate, sit in their chair for a moment and understand their experience. Thank you so much. I I love that whole message and I will continue to be an evangelist on that. In closing, Ira, if somebody wants to find your book, can we get it on Amazon? You can get it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, you can also go up to besthrbook.com. Okay. Uh, dot com. okay. <laughs> and you can get awesome. a signed copy that way. I'll sign it and send it to you. If you awesome. want it overnight, you have to go to Amazon. <laughs> okay. If our listeners want to find out more about what you have to say on recruiting in the age of Googleization, where should they go? You can go to our web company website, which is Success Performance Solutions. That's a lot. Success Performance Solutions. Or I have a community, which is googleizationnation.com, which is free. And you get updates about the webinars and recruiting tips and all the other stuff that's going on. Awesome. Thank you. And Alex, how can listeners find you? So Where can first they off, find I'll you? say in, in the spirit of talking about Google, you can just Googleization <laughs> and you'll find Ira at the very top of the list uh, as he eats his own dog food on getting high on Google. As far as getting in touch with the best way is to come to JobSync, JobSync.io. I'm also on LinkedIn and happy to connect and, and engage with anybody. So I appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both so much. That was awesome. I think our listeners have got some great actionable things that they can start doing and I hope we can talk again in real life and maybe in person. Three dimensions. Appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye now. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.